Good morning. Good morning, Christ Central. My name is Karen McNary, and I will be reading from Acts chapter 17, verse 16, and then verses 22 through 31. Acts chapter 17, verse 16, and it reads, While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. Verse 22. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. And one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God, whom you worship without knowing, is the one I'm telling you about. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. And human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. From one man, he created the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determines their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him, although he was not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he appointed, and he has proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Our passage takes us to ancient Athens, a place where the great philosophers and spiritualists gathered to debate and hear new ideas. The Bible says that that's all some of them did all day long, hear and debate and deny and accept new ideas. This diverse panel gives the Apostle Paul a fair opportunity to explain his new Jesus stuff. And like so many times before, if accepted as logical or viable, to get in in where the Christian God could fit in. But there was a big problem. The God of the Bible refuses to fit in to fit according to our philosophical and religious limitations. Yes, limitations. So much so that like these philosophers and idolaters, having, they have, right, we're so limited like these philosophers and idolaters, we have paralleling and perpendicular truths creating what I would describe as a religious spaghetti junction of almost and failed attempts at true peace and joy and love. And with the statue or idol of an unknown God, it is like they, 
these philosophers kind of close their eyes and, and just jump into life hoping and praying that somehow, somewhere, someone or something will catch our free fall. Now that's something I do give to these guys. They had plenty. As many gods and shrines as Paul saw, they had plenty of blind faith. The type of blind, multi-conjunctive array of human attempts at fabricating God out of their imaginations and personal experiences that end up in a universally unknown God that I will call relativism. It is the human-created margin of error or curve We spiritually grade and allow ourselves a a curve of comfort we can have because we know somewhere deep that we don't have it all figured out. So the unknown God is like space for a new God or new philosophy. Every new year, a lot of times for us, we're we're free to promise ourselves and bet on ourselves and, and what you feel and think is best for you when the God you know is no longer performing, right? The way he or some of you, she should at the time or his Or maybe it's his human representatives that aren't performing right. Like Christians in the church fail us and it leaves more questions than answers. When you want them and how you want them. So you can just ignore, right? You can just add to or create and remove or put God in the corner for for divine misbehavior if he doesn't act right, right? Let's call it what it is. Relativism is the unknown God and an obvious admission, not of God's limitations, but our limitations. In three ways, we will explore today. First, the idol of relativism that we see in the American culture, right, reveals our limited knowledge. Secondly, the idol of relativism reveals our limited ethic and integrity, And finally, the idol of relativism reveals our limited relationship with the true God. Limited knowledge, limited ethic, limited relationship with God. Look again with me at verse 24 in chapter 17. It says this. He is the God, Paul says, who made the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. And human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. And then jump down to verse 29. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. The Bible is teaching here that you and I, are human beings, which means we are too limited in our know-how and know-about as finite humans to create and make an all-knowing and all-truthful God with the best stuff we can bring. Now, they love gold and silver. We still like it, too. And stone, right? Especially if it's granite or something like that, right? Quartz, whatever y'all like, right? So they brought the best they could 
that they can mine and resource not only stuff, but in brain knowledge, right? And, and all their emotions. He is saying, we, we bring all of that stuff. We're still limited in our know-how and know-about to make an all-knowing and all-truthful God on our own. You see, truth in God to you and me is like a lost cat. Right? A cat that must be caught, let's call them like half feral cat, right? One of them neighborhood cats that must be caught by us to make life right for us. Just so y'all know, the original standalone title for the sermon is Chasing the Cat, right? Chasing the Cat. No, don't be thinking about Parliament or whatever, but Chasing the Cat. But a cat that must be caught by us to make life right for us. We used to have a cat named Silas. Y'all remember him? My outside tomcat, just put it that way. He needed shots at the vet. And I remember making failed appointment after appointment. Sorry, can't catch him, right? They, they have never come to me. I never got him to take him to the vet. He would always show up when I wasn't ready to take him. Because I could never make it come to be. I could never make it, all the things line up. The appointment, him, the time, the cart. Couldn't make it true, if you will. Because I could never find or catch him or keep him in my sights long enough. The catch is first about perspective, right? How and where I've seen Silas coming from. And it's been so many angles for so many different reasons and so many different times. I do the clicking and shaking of the food in a little can, right? Click, click, click in this and that direction. And go to the house. I cannot go all the way in. We had a lot of abandoned, we had some abandoned homes looking for him. And he is sometimes there. And so I tried three or four different approaches. I even followed another cat. Hoping and clicking and clacking when people would come by. I'm looking for my cat. And they'd give me this look like cats don't come when called fool. <laughs> there I was looking for something invisible or impossible to get to come. But I knew it was there. But with no regulated way of finding him and having him. So here it comes Harrison and Clark. Yes. Fellow philosophers searching for truth, Right? They probably four or five, five or six. I thought, yes, more of us, a council like they had in Athens of a fellow seeker. It just feels better to have someone with you looking for it. It becomes a religion when three people join, right? And my boys are fervent and committed and more eyes are better, plus jackpot. Harrison tells me he saw the cat and tells me where he saw it. He says, Dad, he's in the backyard. Okay, so I go out thinking he saw him. And then he says, I saw him in a dream <laughs> in the backyard. And halfway up the block, he says, oh, yeah, wait, in that house right there, he's in the attic. I saw him go in there while I was asleep. Perspective is skewed. Isn't it? To help, Harrison says, and I, and I started to take hope. Harrison says at five or six years old, right, he's going to turn into, uh-oh, what's, 
You good? All right. Well, he came up to the front, all cops and all. All right, that'd be good. Shoot, this 2022, shoot. See the police officer walking around the spot. I'm starting to look for the, you know, the exit. I mean, to protect y'all. So anyway. So to help Harrison at five or six years old says, Dad, don't worry. I'm going to turn into Spider-Man. And I'm going to swing up to that attic and get. And then Clark comes along. Well, if he's turning into Spider-Man, I'm Thomas the Tank Engine. And Harrison, Athens style, right? Chapter 17 style. Enters into a philosophical argument telling Clark, no, you're not. You can't turn into a tank engine. A relativistic search for truth. How depressing. How deceptive. Right? And I got my heart in it. I'm trying to get the cat for an appointment, right? And here come two other philosophers. I saw it in a dream. I could turn. Ah, come on. What do you know? And how, how can you know, be sure, how can you be sure considering when we look at the time continuum of just human existence, you and I, I hate to say this, but it's true, we're simply children of a generation. We're children of a history, like, like some of y'all have, who you know what, I, I've heard it every year, every new year, right? You've been spiritual for a year now. I'm spiritual now. I'm deep. After adding to your limited and limited church experience, now digging into Egyptian and Indian or Asian and, you know, uh, some kind of comedic sort of spirituality, some sort of a, in an old space theology, right? You know, you're just out there being spiritual. You think you see how and what God is and isn't? Does that sound familiar? Think about what Paul saw. A bunch of kids. They just got age on them. They just big kids. And though we are more advanced, way more advanced than these philosophers 2000 year, almost 2,000 years ago, we still have a child's imagination for our age. I mean, go on YouTube and just put in spiritual or spirituality. Man, these dudes do better. The new Stan Lee, right? I mean, they got all kind of superhero. They make us have superhero powers to find truth. It is craziness. You and I only see and seek truth. Here we go. From one limited, historically juvenile perspective, searching for truth, which is like a cat that has come and comes, comes and goes for many reasons and angles in a number of applications over the years. So like children. Searching for a cat. Made young and silly by our age and limited youth of our human experience. Nobody can say they truly know and operate in that kind of knowledge without question. No one can get and capture certain absolute knowledge of God, not absolutely living true and fully in the knowledge they have gathered. And I know, I, I mean, we, especially our evangelicals, we love the term absolute truth. Yeah, there's absolute truth. But the problem is you don't possess and live in absolute truth. You don't own it. 
right? You might have part of it. You might see it from an angle, but you don't own it, right? Absolute truth is there and we can experience it. And yes, we can be indelibly changed by it, but nobody can truly get it and hold it or keep it or put a cast or make it stay on a human pedestal. And if we do, it becomes an idolatry that we have it. Without lo- we can't have it without losing the handle on it again and again. But absolute truth has a diabolical twin that some of us flirt with. Absolutely no truth. Right? Paul is saying to the Greek philosophers, each one of these idols that you have out here is not a real God. In fact, they are tombstones. <laughs> Memorials of what? because of the unknown God at the end, they are tombstones and memorials of failed attempts to know and find the real God fully and truly. So you philosophers have left room for nothing, (laughs) right? The, The statue of the unknown God, this is for the unknown God. You've left room for nothing to be true. For the unknowable, for what is still yet to be known and discovered, no absolute God is true. We are human. You and I will resort to imagination. It would drive our hearts and desires and mental and emotional survival. God has created us with incredible imaginative abilities, incredible ways of thinking, incredible intuition for things that are spiritual. I'm not going to take that away from you. It's something God created in you so that you would find him, and we'll get to that in a minute. But we sometimes, for mental and emotional survival in the moment or historic moment to search for what or who may or may not be there. We give credit to that. We, we search for who may or may not be there. And some of us believe that God can only truly be unknown. You can't know God, right? And it can't be the one God of this religion. And it can't be the God of one holy book. And in search for the real God, we learn just how limited, not the God of the Bible is, but hear me, but we are, but how, we, how limited we are in our ethic and integrity to uphold the thing we believe in. You know what we do? <laughs> this is not in here, but I just got to tell you, it's funny. We end up creating religions and ways of thinking that we can't even fulfill. Ain't that crazy? You know, I'm, you know, I'm all about mercy and, and social justice. That's my God. That's how I measure myself, right? But you're greedy, right? You, 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 you don't do right. So you actually create a God that you can't actually serve. Humans, stupid. We always creating a God you know, I just, I just love people. Really? Well, why is it that your belief in just loving people hurts some, some people and always, right, makes you look good? What? The, something wrong with you. I used to have a pastor who said, my God told me I need to hit you in the head with a brick. We can have what God we want. Welcome to America, Right? That ain't wrong. My God told me to hit you in the head with a brick. The philosophers want 
to hear Paul talk about Jesus and give space for it. Why? Yeah, they want to prove him wrong, right? They set, they put him on a tee, about to hit him, right? You know, I knew not to trust Harrison's eyes. I still don't trust it. He's almost 20. Dad, I looked for it. No, you didn't. I know not to trust Harrison's eyes and thoughts, but I was afraid what that would say about me, about me if I didn't trust him as crazy as that might be. I'm stupid for being out here looking for a lost cat. I can't be that humble. I can't sit and just wait like some sort of fool, right? And that's part of what drives us. We don't want to be invalid or without integrity. So we say, I am not that bad. Oh, you either, right? We accept other crazy beliefs in parallel to ours so that ours don't look bad. Because if we say that's wrong, then guess what? If we're only talking at a human level, that means I could be wrong too. My mama used to say, Howard, wrong is wrong if everybody's wrong. And right is right if nobody's right. Right? That, that was mama's way of absolute truth talk, right? And like the philosophers in this passage, you know, they're saying, let's create room to accept and add when necessary. Because we know we're going to end up being wrong. We know we're going to end up, this God is the God of the sea, but this, then he worried about the land. And then the God of the sea and the land, you know, they cheated on their wives and now they got this titan. This, y'all, they got a soap opera going on among their gods. You know why? Because it was a reflection of who we are. If you got drama, your God got drama. If you be divorcing, guess what you do to your God? You be divorcing your God and getting a new one. If you be cheating, your God going to cheat too, right? And you going to cheat on your God. And that's what part, that's what drives us. And the cat, what, what happens to the cat? Stays lost. But we make our lives worth something and valued because we are justified by this, by this thinking. We are all seekers. We're all unfounded and looking like everyone else. We are all human. I've heard it. We're just all human. So God is unknown. God is lost to us. And that sounds all nice on the surface. You know, we all just seeking. And guess what? That kind of thinking will get you plenty of thumbs up and likes and loves and, and exclamation and retweets and reposts. But beliefs have ethics and ethics because they are acted out in community relationship. Those ethics affect others. Just like I was saying, my God said, hit you in the head with a brick, right? Or my God says, I don't have to help you even though you're about to die or something like that, right? Paul, this is what they want to know here from Paul. Paul, will your God and your following this God of philosophy hurt us or rock the boat unnecessarily? Does your God fit in and play well with others? Like all these statues and statutes. If your God plays well with others, then you okay. But he can't be so real and so true that others are not. 
Basically, the gods here, when you research it, were accepted if they supported the dominant Greek ways of life, especially for the Epicureans. They wanted to eat and sex around and for some sleep with children and men with little boys and men with animals. They could justify gladiator games and for others to let them be moral, for the other group to let them be moral and solitary and feel better than others. The pantheon of the gods kept things equal and balanced to be safe to believe and do what you wanted. But more than that, I think for some of us, we have created a place for our unknown and other God, just like them, to deal with what from our perspective, and this is the hard part, our problems in the world that the God we have hasn't dealt with or we feel hasn't dealt with well. That, I think it, I go through the struggle There is too much evil in the world. Turn on the news. As soon as you pop up something here, sometimes you don't even have to pop it up on your phone with some things called banners. Boop, boop, evil, right? And we think it's too much evil. What what about those people on the desert island? God ain't got no plan for them. I guess they going to hell, right? Or or, or the poor. We, We need to make room for more or less than this or that one God and definitely what he has said in this one book, the Bible. There's too many problems in the world. We need a lot of contradictory truths to stop world domination by some crazy person or crazy group of people. And and let me say this. I'm going to put ourselves out there. In your experience with Christianity, like many others, you may have felt and now believe that church people are just plain mean people. I've been doing some stuff. I've been looking at some church history stuff as of late. Well, I don't read it. I like doing, you know, the book on tape. Well, what do you call it? Not tape. Audio. Audio. On my Walkman. Just kidding. <laughs> I'm tethered to it. Okay, anyway. But the church has been one of the most racist, imperialistic, and bloody entities over the years and too culturally biased. And it is so clear to see in our, right, or an evangelical denomination like ours. I'm a part of it. First, let me just say I'm not outside looking in. I'm saying I'm on the inside looking around, okay? It is dominated by white theology, right? Let me explain to you what I mean by that. Don't, don't get scared. We're only mainly dead white men in privileged parts of society who, for the most part, as I look at their histories, because I study who they are, have no idea the oppression and struggle of people in the same way, especially people who look like me, that they actually mattered when they put these books together. As a matter of fact, they made their theology unknown when it came, unknown God, to slavery, nothing, nothing mentioned in it. Although, man, they went after the Catholic Church. Woo, can't have all of that. But they wouldn't go after slave traders that made them and their churches rich. 
They exploited America's Constitution, shaped it in white supremacy, democracy and capitalism shaped by this stuff to keep others down, and then turned around and said, America is God's nation. No wonder you want to find another God. God is, this is God's nation? Like, it's a special nation under God? God bless America that built its own wealth and reputation and privilege on stealing people from their country and then bringing them here and treating them like animals? Ethic. Integrity. In his letter from, because I've been listening, you know, on Martin Luther King Day, I was listening to a letter from Birmingham jail again. In his letter from a Birmingham jail, Reverend, let me make that clear, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. wrote this about churches in the South, his white, white church in the South. And let me say, when I studied black theology and black power theology, Martin Luther King never declared churches that were white as apostate or not Christian, okay? But he said this, I have looked at the South's beautiful churches with their lofty spires pointing heavenward. I have beheld impressive outlines of her massive religious education buildings. Over and over, I have found myself asking, ready? What kind of people worship here? And who is their God? Because he, and I'm saying this now, because there's no way that they could turn a blind eye to a bombing of a church, just one that's famous because of the four girls, but many, and that be their God. Now, I have a point coming here, why this is important. That can't be God. They can't be Christians, right? The struggles of racism and poverty, in this, I wrote this sermon a week ago, so I was kind of MLK day, on it, really into it. The struggles of racism and poverty were so hard for blacks in America that there were some black theologians and pastors who look outside, started to look outside of the Bible for answers. Outside of a white theologically centered faith that kept and keep them oppressed and wouldn't dare mess up the financial and privileged structures, they started to look for answers other places. And they thought just because you have the privilege of writing America-based theology first, does not mean is the final take on things. So we are essentially like philosophers. We build an altar to what can't, we can't come to terms with, what we can't deal with or understand. A new Bible, y'all, for black folk, right? A new sect, a new ancient religion to go back to. A spirituality, right? That, that, and so I understand my comedic brothers and sisters. I understand the Hebrew Israelites. I understand the nation of Islam. Because there's a search for a transcendent or antecedent to the trauma of stains of historical institutional injustice and hatred. I get it. I mean, I find myself one trained and indoctrinated and mollified, but what I would descri describe as white theology, looking through the pantheon myself. 
in many over the last four or five years. And again, this is a, this is a multi-ethnic church, and I see a very few brown and black folk in here. And you know one of the reasons that is? Many have the, the last four or five years since Trump got over 80% of the white evangelical church vote twice because of two or three issues, the justices, abortion, and for issues of sexuality and marriage. Wow, what an incomplete, continuing, basic civil... What about incomplete and continuing basic civil rights legislation? So God doesn't love me as much as he hates abortion and gay folks. And then, so I feel you women, people of color, There's a reason why people say, it ain't he, God's a she. There's a reason why. Immigrants and disabled and sexually non-evangelical and poor, relativism, finding a new and different God than the one they said to worship, the one in the Bible to put on that pedestal is therefore not intellectual. It is based on historical, real emotional and social drama, trauma and drama, not just racial, but the ways you see religious people treat others and like last sermon, find privilege and supremacy over others through it, regardless of your cultural historical place. You don't want that God. Gotta find another. Now, let me explain this to you because this is what's gonna happen. I've pastored white, black, Asian, Hispanic folk, right? For 20 years now, almost, at Christ Central. Let me tell you, I see some things, and I wanna warn you, right? That immediately, evangelicals want to go and try to fix it now. Oh no, people are going to other religions because of me. What can we do? Let me tell you about God. He's like a cat. He comes how he has decided, from the angle he has picked, from the geography does and does not answer to the click and clack whenever you want them to. And so you can't say, look, we're going to fix this. Come on, God. Let, let me, let, let, let's get enough, you know, kumbaya meetings. Like, let's, let's have a racial reconciliation conference. Let's, let's, let's show the world that, that we can do this, right? Come on, God. He never stops being God. And for some of us, that's good news because for our sake, he is and always is God for you regardless of who you are because he is a relative God. Look at Paul here again. Same same verses. I don't need to read it again. Um, Verses 24 through 26. He gives us life. He creates us. Right? Let, Let me read this part. 25. Um. I knew this sermon could be kind of long. I'm trying. Verse 25, and he he says here, in human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath and everything, and he satisfies every need. From one man he created all the nations through the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. He is saying because God is God and has created us and designed where and how we should live, 
hear this, each one of us, our culture, cultures, our communities, that he doesn't need you to tell you who and how he is, to have absolute truth about him. And he lets us know that being in relationship with him as humans is more about being known than you knowing. And him informing us, not only who and how he is, but who we are. That we are walking with the uncertainty of little lost boys and girls making all kinds of mistakes who may not always be able to see God fully, but may be able to know fully that God sees you and me in the world we can't handle. And it's many people with different experience and different traumas, and he sees them more absolutely than we see ourselves, and is true and right in his knowledge of you and me in this world. God is like the cat in the house and down the street and even in the attic. Guess what? He sees you. He knows you in this world of different clicks and clacks and come over here even when you can't see him or see him seeing it and actually dealing with it. What does this mean? We can live life with certainty only because God absolutely and certainly knows and sees and creates and keeps and comprehends us in our world. Oh, this is a backwards way of looking at it, isn't it? Because every kind of Roman Greco philosophical way of knowing things is you can't actually get into it if you don't know it exhaustively. But what if the exhaustive knowing is on the divine end and not on the human end? That is certainty. Because you look at yourself, look at the mess we've made. It is so uncertain. Being a believer is about trusting in God's faithfulness and God's knowledge and God's creation. Not ours. Oh, man, we put so much into it. You know, I heard a brother the other day, and I'm not getting into it because I can't. Close brother, used to disciple me from afar. Denounced the Christian faith. And the reason, he said, is he went to seminary, started getting into apologetics and all of this stuff, and was deep and thinking and blah, blah, and on and on and on, knowing how to defend the faith against this one and this one and that one and this one. And he says, I began to take my, my uh, apologetic message and I turned it on Christianity itself. And it fell apart. What if I were to tell you there's ways to make Christianity fall apart? From a human limited perspective? It ain't about that. He thought knowing it well enough was the thing. Instead of realizing that in knowing, it's knowing how well you're loved by God. Scripture is saying is God makes himself found by you. You don't find and capture him. He decides to be captured and embraced by you. He won't be caged for your pseudo absolute truth or you're making him just one of the other and will not therefore at all times be uh, times only be true and right according to your calling of him. God's not up looking for the God job. He ain't, here's my resume. Nah, I don't work like that. 
He's God. And that's what Paul was saying. Everything else y'all got are qualifications for God. You're, hey, you're indeed resume for God. These are the things we want, God. Will you be one? If so, we might actually give you a statue. God's like, I ain't for sale. I ain't looking for a job. I'm looking for broken people. You see, relativism is not about angle, perspective, ethnic, or pathway, or historical journey to the Lord. It's about being sovereignly drawn as blind to the truth into the light by the same one and true God from wherever you are. I learned how to see, interpret, and come and draw people by only one Euro white Americana way with some other black writers who are always in the extra section, never in the theological section, only the extra, right? Did you know the greatest systematic theologian of the 20th century was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.? Oh no, he was just an activist. That's what always happens to us. We're only activists. We're only social justice issue people. When it's central to the theology. Now here's the point here. I could go through all of seminary, I could go through, be ordained in our presbytery, in the PCA, I could be in right standing and have never read three non-white or three non-male theologians my whole life. And guess what? I could be in right standing theologically and everything else by this denomination I'm in, that I'm vowed in, right? and never read anybody after 1950. No effect of the civil rights movement or activism on their minds, thinking, and writing, but I can read them and be all right. As if truth didn't happen. I remember I was a senator, and they're like, things were solid in America. That's her, I had a professor actually say it, and he was so sincere. Things were so great in this country. Then somewhere in the 60s, things got bad. Did he just say that? Really? Did anybody ever see Sticks on Happy Days? The one black guy? See, I don't even remember Sticks. What about Leave It to Beaver? What about June and Ward Cleaver? What about Harriet and whoever? Ozzy and Harriet. Like, I watched that stuff in syndication. Where were we? Okay, what's your point, Pastor Brown? You're just dogging white folk. You just got the big stick today. Relativism is birthed in large part because you've been made to doubt your unique draw or journey to the Lord. Ain't relativism. Paul's saying God has created us here, here, here. Different traumas, different histories, different places, different, different struggles, right? And he is so much God. See? God doesn't go to, it's so hard to do it. I wish I had a graph like to show you. It's like a 3D X and Y axis, right? So many axes. And, 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 and central is God himself, right? And we're here and we're here and we're here and we're here and we have different things. Privilege, no privilege, struggle. Some of us, our families, whether we're white or not, came of immigrants, worked hard, struggled, whatever. You know, it's, the stories are all over the place. 
God's not saying there is a God for the person here and here and here. He's saying, I am the God that actually put you here. And I am so much God. I can reach. I can come. You can be found in this kind of blindness, in this kind of blindness, in this kind of trauma, in this kind of situation. And I am drawing you to one truth. See, here's the deal. And so we make it about this group alone and this way to come to God. The way is Christ, y'all. The way. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying there's different religions. There's one God, one religion. But here's the deal. He is drawing us. And the thing that makes us set up a relativistic God is the belief that God can't reach us. Because I'm not like them. And my journey didn't look like this. Or someone over here is telling me my journey's wrong. I don't care where you are. I don't care what's been done to you. I do care. Understand what I mean. It doesn't matter. It does matter. Woo, we live in this world, Kent. Pastor Brown said it don't care. He, 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 he said that he don't care where. No, you know what I mean. Please don't be silly. That's why it took me so long to write my sermon. I can't say that. Can't say put the or a. I got to change D to a, right? Got to be indefinite article. Paul says it matters where you are. And God, one truth is so powerful that it draws you. This is my urge. This is what I'm urging you to do and I'm done. Do not stop and build an altar where you are. God is staying where he is in heaven, but he's incarnated. He sent Jesus to be the chief priest, not for that group or this group or this problem or that problem, but for all problems. He is a relative, not relative. He is a relative God to each one of us. You don't need to try to create a God for your situation and for your circumstance. He is a God for you as much as for them. And when we start to make, limit him, we put a statue up, we limit his abilities beyond what he has already revealed about himself. And that makes people run to relativism. Christ came. As scripture says here at the end. To be the universal. Reacher. For us. You know, I thought about it. You know, when the cat came. (laughs) When I was still. And recognize he was a cat. Be still in your imaginations. In your ability to create new gods. And know. That he is God. And he will come. He's God. Through Christ. He comes. Um, Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much.
for your goodness to us. Oh, Lord, I pray especially for people the last three or four years who've seen Christians fighting so much. Christians getting into the mask debate, getting into the vaccination debate between the others, making church a political battleground. Lord, Christians saying God told them to vote for this issue or these three issues. Lord, we've created such a mess of things. Christians saying, I give up. This can't be God because look how my people are treated. This can't be God because they want to deconstruct the whole history of America and make it about racism and slavery. This can't be God. We all have our little pet peeves. Help us, Lord to not create another God or go after other gods who will, we think will solve our issues. Lord, you are proclaiming you are God and you can find us and you seek us and that's how you love us. So please continue to do so. Lord, I don't even, I know how hard it is. I know how difficult it is. Look, I've turned to my imagination. I've turned to things that are not biblical to deal with my hurt, to deal with my marriage, to deal with my kids, to deal with my money, to deal with my pain in my body. Lord, the many things I've turned to, all kind of idols of substances and entertainment, all kind of things. And Lord, here is the God, here is grace. And I pray this to be for them, that God sees us and he looks upon us and reaches us with love and mercy and grace and forgiveness. Thank you, Lord. Pray that especially for people who don't know you today. They still live with an unknown God, which means they're God. And they know they can't handle it. Prove that you can handle it, Lord, as you did with Christ and through Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.